And I must admit, when the first time you turn a lightsaber on, mm. you make the noise. Everybody does that. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Dagobah Dispatch, where we talk all Star Wars all the time, or at least for as long as producer Sammy Junio will tolerate us. We have a lot to get to this week. We have an interview with the four villains of Ahsoka who joined us at Star Wars Celebration. We have some big news about a big Star Wars operation shutting down shop. And are we going to have some Star Wars shows shutting down shop as well due to the writer's strike? All that... Plus your reaction to last week's episode where a big debate broke out over Ewoks and music. We'll get back into it for better or for worse. I'm Dalton Ross, joined as always by Devin Kogan. How are you doing, Devin? Hello, hello. Excited to get into it. Hopefully this will be less contentious than last week. We, we did a little bit of arguing when it came to, yeah. to Star Wars music. It, it, playful arguing, friendly yeah. arguing. <laughs> yeah, it was a little spicy. Got a little spicy. <laughs> Uh, we'll see if that happens again. You never know when you get when you get uh, the blood boiling a little bit. Um, we we have got a bunch of stuff to get to, like I like I mentioned. Uh, before we get going, I, I do want to say a few words about our interview this week. Uh, even though we have some other stuff to get to before we do run the actual interview, uh, the interview is with Lars Mikkelsen, Diana Lee Inosanto, Ivana Sakno, and Ray Stevenson, who play the four main villains on Ahsoka. And I spoke to the four of them out at Star Wars Celebration in London. And I did a bunch of interviews there, and we've been rolling them out for you all. I hope you've been enjoying them. Uh, this this just happened to be the week we scheduled to run this interview. And earlier this week, the news broke that Ray Stevenson, who is part of that interview and plays Balon on Ahsoka, uh, died at the age of 58. It's um, obviously terrible, terrible news. And our, our thoughts go out first and foremost to his family and friends and everyone in the cast and crew of Ahsoka. It's it's super sad, but I'm I'm at least glad that we do have this interview to play for you later because what you're going to hear in one of his last interviews ever uh, is how much Ray Stevenson loved this role and this show. The guy was ecstatic to be a part of the franchise. He had a huge grin on his face the entire time we spoke, and you're going to hear the way he continually talks about how amazing everyone else on the crew was. He's consistently giving credit to others. And you're going to hear about some really fun stuff he, he would do on the set that hopefully will give you a, a, a vivid picture of the man and what he brought to this role. Uh, you're going to obviously meet the character he played in a few months on the show, but this gives a good window into the person. So I, I know we have some other stuff to get to before that interview with Ray and L Lars Mikkelsen, Diana Lee Inosanto and Ivana Sakno, but I, I just want you all to think about that when you do listen. And also recognize how, you know, if this is his last role ever, I don't know if he has other stuff waiting to come out or not, but if this is his last role ever, how much it did mean to him. And, and he's a big part of the show, Devin. That, that voice you hear in that trailer, and I love the trailer. I've watched it so many times, <laughs> an embarrassing amount of times I've watched that trailer. And he's providing that voiceover narration, and that's that's him. And it's... um. It's, it was cool to hear. It was, it was cool to see. It was like, I wish you could have been there with me at Celebration. You've done Celebration before and you know what it's like. And he came off that stage uh, after doing that panel and he was just this like hugest grin on his face and was interacting with everyone. It was really, really cool. 
That is so cool. And, you know, he's one of those actors I, I really love. Um, he's been in a lot of things that I really love. He's the, not a stranger to the Star Wars universe. Um, he voiced Gar Saxon in Rebels and Clone Wars. Um, I and a lot of people know him um, for his role in the Thor movies. He played Wolstag. I mean, he's he's one of those those, those actors who's always good in, in everything, wherever he pops up. And um, yeah, I'm this. it's really heartbreaking. And I, I'm really, really curious and really looking forward to seeing the, you know, seeing him in this show because from everything you you've said it sounds like it's always fun to talk to actors who are so excited to be in star wars and are just having a great time and and are really excited about you know and this sounds like a pretty special show overall yeah and you'll you'll hear it in the interview every time i kind of try to ask him about himself he, he's like oh my god the costumes and like you know and, and just the set design you walk on the set and it's just like and like and, and it's genuine it's like feels totally genuine and so uh, obviously, it's it's terrible news, but but I, I I'm glad that you guys are going to get to at least um, you have this interview and and some other ones that he did that show how much this role meant to him, uh, and maybe we can all kind of keep that in mind when we do watch the show when it when it debuts in, in August. So anyway, that that interview is going to be coming up a, a little bit later. Uh, we have some other uh, business to attend to uh, before before that. Uh, first off, I, I always you know I've said this, Devin, like hey, you know, like I always say at the end of the podcast, you know, hey, tell your friends about the podcast, and hey, uh, follow the podcast, you know, like that stuff they do on every panel, like hey, leave us a review, and you know, maybe we'll read it. Well, I do want to read. Um, we we got a few reviews that I do want to read. There's there's one that was left by Beta Beta Beta, I guess, who uh, wrote, "Love these guys. I'm really enjoying this podcast. Sometimes it feels like I'm sitting around chatting with friends about Star Wars, but then they have these amazing interviews." an enjoyable listen. Thank you very much. Glad Thank you. Enjoy hanging out with us. That's all we're doing, hanging out, talking about Star Wars. And uh, we love that you're hanging out with us uh, as well. So thanks so much for that. Really appreciate it. Now let's go to our second review, Devin, which you might be a little more interested in. This one comes from Sir Pauly Browboy. And the headline is, because you leave a headline, then the review, Devin. The headline is Team Yub Nub. Wow. And then writes in the actual review, for sure. <laughs> so Devin, who was, if you missed the show last week, Devin did her list of the top 15 Star Wars songs ever, songs in the actual movies or TV shows. And it was an excellent list. And I agreed with her top four, not in the exact order, but I had the same top four she did. And she did a great job with her list, except for the final entry on her list, which was number 15, Go back and listen to the episode so you can hear how ridiculous it was. She basically put in Victory Celebration as her 15th favorite Star Wars song in any Star Wars property. And Victory Celebration is the song in the, the new end song. That's the song that finishes the original trilogy. It, thanks or no thanks to the Star Wars, the, uh, the special edition that came out, Return of the Jedi. It replaced Ewok Celebration known more colloquially as Yubnub. That's how we all know it. Devin is, was was just totally raining all over Yubnub's parade, stomping it, throwing it in the trash, and saying how amazing Victory Celebration is. Well, Devin, Sir Polly Browboy disagrees. 
Uh, I thank you for your review, but I wholly disagree with you, and I stand by my my yubnub slander. Um, but it was really fun this this past week. We've gotten a lot of great tweets and a lot of great comments on social media. Reaching out, you know, there's been a couple people who are team yubnub. There's been a couple people who are on my side who are anti yubnub. Um, a lot of talk about you know stuff we left off or or you know praising our list for how brilliant it is. Um, so it's been it's been a really fun conversation. So yeah, we love hearing that stuff. So please, please send us your thoughts. I, We love arguing about Star Wars and we love hearing from you guys about your thoughts on Star Wars. But I stand by my list and my list is perfect. And that's all I have to say about that. Your list was perfect for 14 spots. Uh, wow. Also on social media, as you mentioned, uh, Terry Mack reached out, said FYI, totally hashtag Team Yubnub. Terry Mack's making a hashtag out of it. Uh, says also really love the Ahsoka cast interview. Now it seems like everyone's piling on Devin, but hold on. Here comes uh, the heart sleeves sent, uh, sent in a tweet. We're going to give, you know, it's like when the president speaks and the opposing party gets their fair time, Devin. Yeah. Like, you know, like after you're watching on CNN or wherever you're watching and then the opposing party comes in and they do their rebuttal. So the heart sleeves, now this might be a Devin Kogan burner account. <laughs> I, I haven't, I haven't looked into it. <laughs> Uh, the heart sleeve says Yub Nub is awful. And I hated it when I saw Jedi when it premiered. I'm first generation Star Wars. And that change to a galactic celebration was so needed to feel the finality of Jedi. Also, the Mando theme is way too high on the list. It's the best Star Wars music in 30 years. I think she means way too low or he means way too low, whichever it is. Anyway, uh, you have a Yub Nub defender. I mean, a, a Yub Nub detractor. Thank you. You know, team victory celebration. I just, I, but that's one of the fun things is like, even, even people who are like, you know, this person said original Star Wars fan is like, no, this was the one, one change the special editions got right was so wrong. Jettisoning. Just a false statement, just incorrect in every single way. Um, There, listen, I will tell you something the special editions got right, but by, by somewhat fixing the scene in Hoth with the Wampa, which looked really yes. terrible at first. And at least they added in some good Wampa scenes to at least make it not so pathetic when he just sort of slow-mo chops his arm off. So Yeah, that that was definitely an, an improvement, we'll say. All right, so you, listen, you, it's a Star Wars show with two hosts and Devin says Yubnub sucks. And I say Yubnub is so much better than Victory Celebration, which I believe said sound like warmed over Najee, New Age music. If only we had a third host still that could break the tie. Well, we do have a former third host, Lauren Morgan, who uh, who, who uh, left us unceremoniously recently. Uh, Lauren has weighed in, Devin, I want you to know. She has weighed in, and so I think it's only right that she, uh, she recorded a special message for us. Oh my gosh. With her take. So let's all sit back. Relax and see what Lauren Morgan had to say about this raging controversy. You know, you think you know a person, and then they insult Yubnub? I leave this podcast, and we insult Yubnub? What is going on here? I am sorry, but Yubnub is the superior ending to The Return of the Jedi. The victory celebration, constantly, it makes me so angry that... If I am watching Return of the Jedi on Disney+, Plus, I literally turn it off, go to YouTube, and find the original ending so I can hear Yubnub. I mean, come on, Devin. You usually have impeccable taste. What is going on here? And you're, you're making me agree with Dalton. And you know I don't generally like to agree with Dalton, but here, 
I am agreeing with Dalton because I must defend the integrity of Yemno. Good Lord. The other thing is you just cannot change the ending song of a movie if an entire generation has listened to that song as the end of the movie. Like, it's just, as a child of the 80s, it is very, very upsetting to all of a sudden hear victory celebration where Yub Nub should be. It sounds wrong. It is wrong. It's just, it's a travesty. All the changes to Return of the Jedi are a travesty. I cannot even believe that that this has happened to Dagobah Dispatch since I have gone, my lord. It's just everything's fallen apart since she left. Oh, she came in hot. God. She came in wow. real hot. I now I'm almost glad that I, we waited to do this episode until after she left because I feel like I, I don't think I would have survived the recording if she was here. <laughs> I will. I will say, Devin, when I when you first sent me your list, like, hey, all right, here's the list we can talk about like tomorrow on the podcast. I. I I was like, did she make a mistake? Like, is this, is she trolling me? Like, victory celebration? Like, I like my m- mouth was on the floor, and I, I, uh, I, it was very surprising, and I can only imagine Lauren's surprise. I look, I stand by it. I, I still think I, I can't, I can't handle Yubnub. I'm sorry. I think it undercuts the emotional weight of the ending of this incredible trilogy. I think it doesn't make sense to like, there's this like beautiful melancholy moment. And I, I did the chanting Ewoks. It just doesn't do, do it for me. You know, we've talked a lot on the show about Ewoks many, many times. Yeah, and I have. think they, they do. Ewoks are best in moderation and small, small doses. And I think, I think Yubnub just kind of pushes it over to maximum Ewok. And look, we all know Lauren, she loves an Ewok. You know, I also love an Ewok, but I, I stand by this one, but yeah. Lauren, I do miss you very much. And I wish you were here to yell at me in person, but yeah, you're, thank you you're for reconc- taking time out of your day to yell at me <laughs> virtually. <laughs> if that was your attempt at reconciling with Lauren, after you just said that Ewoks need to be held in moderation and like too many, too many Ewoks, but that's not going to do it. <laughs> Lauren Morgan. You want to know the best thing about that Lauren Morgan response is that, she wasn't done. She then sent a second message. She's <laughs> like, no, wait, I haven't said enough. She has more to say. Listen to oh part. God. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the sequel. This is like episode two, Lauren Morgan's response to Devin. She's still going. Take a listen. Lauren Morgan strikes back. I am on the record as hating every change they made to Return of the Jedi for the special editions. But what really bothers me about Victory Celebration is that it sounds like it should be playing in a rainforest cafe and not on the forest moon of Endor. It just doesn't match. It doesn't match the visuals on screen. It doesn't match the fact that obviously when they first made the movie uh, that John Williams had written it to the beat of the the images on screen. So it just doesn't match like the cuts that are happening now anymore. And also it just, it, it just feels wrong. It just feels like new agey and weird. And it doesn't have that kind of charm that Yub Nub has. And I know Yub Nub is kind of a weird song. And if you listen to it without the context of it, you're like, oh yeah, this is a pretty strange song. But I just think it fits the sort of charming ending of Return of the Jedi better. And I also really like how when Luke is seeing the Force Ghost, that Yubnub sort of starts blending into the Star Wars theme that's going to be on the end credits. And I just think it really ends the movie in a much more charming and, like, correct, like, it feels more authentic to Star Wars than Victory Celebration does. Here, here, Cosine. Ugh, 
Lauren, I love you. I we we agree to disagree on this one. This is, you know, I just I can't I can't get over it. I just it's no yub dub for me. Well, brace yourself because she sent a third message. No, I'm kidding. She didn't. <laughs> See, the thing is, I wouldn't put it past her if anyone. Would. <laughs> oh, God, I do listen. I I I do agree with her. I feel like it's just a very generic ending. And I and I listen. I, I you know I'm not Ewok crazy by any means. So I get it if you were if you'd be like, yeah, just not feeling the the yub nub and the Ewoks. I actually would get that, but. At least to Lauren's point, it's like a unique and authentic. Well, just victory celebration to me is super generic. But Agreed if you hate Yubnub, I guess you would take generic over bad. I I don't think it's generic. I think it's solid, and and you know I think it's it's it it's number fifteen on the list. It's not number one, but you know I'm 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 team victory celebration all the way. I, all I right. stand by it. I have only, Lauren's rebuttal has only solidified my position. She has not swayed me. That's right. She's digging in. Uh, All right. Well, listen, you guys can continue to weigh in on this uh, this hot uh, debate that's raging here on the Dig of a Dispatch. Um, Let's get to a few other things before we get into our interview. Um, Some big news uh, about Disney and Florida. There's been a lot of Disney Florida news, let's be honest, over the past year. Um, But the one thing that sort of uh, goes into our territory is the fact that they announced that they are Disney's closing down the Galactic Star Cruiser. Now, for longtime fans of the show, you know, my mother, uh, it's uh, you may remember uh, I was invited to go on the Galactic Star Cruiser. Couldn't do it; dates didn't work, so we sent the enraged Lauren Morgan uh, <laughs> down there instead. Uh, and she had a great time. She had a really, really good time there. But it is, uh, it's going away. Here's just a, basically, we'll give you the news, then we'll react to it. This is from a New York Times article on the closing. It says, after spending hundreds of million dollars to build an immersive Star Wars-themed hotel at Walt Disney World, Disney said on Thursday that amid sweeping corporate cost-cutting, it would close the underperforming attraction in September, only about 18 months after it opened The attraction called Galactic Star Cruiser was marketed as part luxury hotel, part theme park ride, part role-playing game. Guests are welcome aboard a 275-year-old space liner and take a celestial voyage on which they might be asked to deliver a secret message, head to the engine room to help repair a fuel valve, or participate in lightsaber training. Disney said the hotel's quote-unquote final voyage would take place September 28th to 30th. Guests who had already booked the hotel after September will be contacted to discuss options to modify their plans, the company said, and new bookings were being paused to prioritize those guests. All visits are two-night stays with a starting cost of more than $4,800 for two people and around $6,000 for a family of four. For authenticity, the 100 cabins at the Florida Hotel have no windows. Instead, stars, planets, and asteroid showers are shown on video screens. So it basically, Devin... Um, you got some experience at Renaissance fairs, I know. I do love it a was, Renaissance it's, fair. It's that, or it's William, Colonial Williamsburg brought to space age life with actors, and you're a character, and you've got missions and all this stuff to do. And um, it's shutting down after just 18 months. And we know, you know, Galaxy's Edge uh, has been a big success, seemingly for Disney parks and stuff. And this just didn't make it at all, Devin. And I, I think it has to be the price, right? I think that is correct. You know, I I look, we're the biggest Star Wars nerds in the world. We literally host a Star Wars podcast. This is the kind of thing that would be 100% right up our ally, our our alley. But I think it's 
I, I think it is the price. I think it, it's it's expensive. It's you know like the New York Times article says, it's um, forty eight hundred dollars for two people. It's six thousand dollars for a family of four. That's a very pricey vacation um, for you know for a lot of families. That's going to be out of reach. Whereas something like Galaxy's Edge is much more attainable. It's still immersive. It's still you can there's attractions. You know that you can meet with characters. There's cool stuff to do. But it's it's a much more affordable price. Um, whereas this is, I think, it's just a little out of a lot of people's reach, which kind of bums me out because, like, you know, when Lauren came back and was, you know, describing all the cool stuff that she got to do, I was like, oh man, I want to go do that. That sounds 100% right up my alley. And so I'm a little bummed that we'll never get to experience this, but I do hope that they, I'm curious to see what it looks like going forward. I'm curious whether it's a complete shutdown, they're just going to close it and turn it into something else, or if it, they're going to sort of rethink it a little bit. Like maybe they just turn it into sort of like a generic Star Wars themed hotel where it's less about the experience and the missions and things like that. So it's going to be a little bit more affordable, um, a little bit less immersive. Um, I, I can't imagine them just, you know, kind of kicking this all to the curb and taking this, you know, giant facility that they built and, and blowing it up. Um, so I'm curious whether it'll evolve and sort of take on a new kind of style. But yeah, it did surprise me a little bit. I mean, 18 months is not a very long time. And for them to, to pull the plug so quickly kind of surprised me. What, what did you what did you make of this news? Yeah, I, I, I think it's just too expensive. Um, and and I, I'm you bring up the big, biggest question. What do they do with this place now? Right. And and I think that is interesting because like if you're going to ever do a Star Wars celebration down in Orlando, who wouldn't want to stay at a, even if they just turn it, like you said, to a Star Wars hotel. Okay, get rid of the actors, get rid of the missions, but like there's Star Wars signage all over the place, which they already have up, presumably. So, and just sort of keep some of those elements in play that, and, you know, take it from $4,800 to $480. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. uh, which is still expensive, but probably what you're going to pay at a, a really nice Disney hotel these days anyway, I'm guessing. So I, it's, it, listen, it's a bummer. They had huge plans on this. I mean, it's a bummer for them because they obviously put a, sunk a lot of money into this and huge plans. And it just sort of, I think I still remember Devin when the, when they first announced the price and it was just cackles on the internet. Oh right? yeah. Just like, just like what you want us to pay $4,800 for two people for two nights. Like, and you could have provided the most amazing experience possible and still at that price, how could it be worth it? Right. I mean, it's just, I don't, I don't, it, we know Lauren went there. I listen, I almost literally told my daughter, I wasn't dropping her off at college to go down to there instead. I was this close. I was like, you know, I mean, she could just take public transportation to school. <laughs> like I could, you know, I know I'd miss out on a great memory, but Going to Galactic Star Cruiser could be a pretty cool memory too. So, I, you know, I really wanted to do it, but like, you know, if you had told me that, like, if I had to pay out of pocket and do it for that price, there's no way. There's, there's just no way. Yeah, I think it's just, um, you know, kind of out of it's just out of budget for a lot of Star Wars fans. So I'm not surprised uh, that it that it closed. But again, I hope that they they continue it and they 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 sort of you know redevelop it into something that's going to be maybe a little less special, but a little bit more affordable and and to still bring some of that like Star Wars magic to to people. Because I mean, I think look at Galaxy's Edge. This has been a tremendous success for both Disneyland and Disney World. I mean, it is one of the biggest things that they've done in the last you know, 15 years. And it is a, it is a huge success with the rides and the food and the development and, and all of these amazing things. And I think, um, 
I, I think, you know, there still is really big money in Star Wars for, for Disney. Um, and I, I think it's just a question of how much money and, and how much money are people, people willing to pay. If you could have worked as a character at Galactic, Galactic Star Cruise, and they just said, hey, you know, Devin, Kogan, we just need some characters. We're going to let you create your own character. Like, who do you want to be? What are you doing? Why are you interacting with the guests? What would you What would you do? Oh, that's a good question. I'm torn between wanting to be a really awesome alien and not wanting to have to deal with the makeup every single day to yeah, go to work. Like yeah, on one hand, yeah. like, oh, it'd be so cool to be a Twi'lek. But then I'm like, oh God, every day, like every Monday morning, you have to get up and put on your head tails and paint yourself yeah. green. I'm like, oh no. So I think I'd probably just be like a human engineer or like a rebel spy or something along those lines would be super fun. Um, you know, there's some lightsaber training. If I got to brush up on my lightsaber skills and teach people how to, you know, do cool spins and stuff like that would, that would be dope as hell. What about you? Uh, I'd be trying to sell them death sticks. (laughs) And then everybody would just say, uh, you're going to go home and rethink your life. I would, I would give them death sticks and you know what they'd actually, I'd be peddling, essentially peddling drugs at Disney. (laughs) Uh, and then if they took me up on, they're like, yeah, hit me. I would basically give them like, um, what are those like pixie sticks or whatever? Which yeah, is like yeah, the, yeah. the sugar, the sugar and like the little like thin tube. I would just give those to him. Be like, all right, keep it, you know, keep it on the DL. Here you go, and <laughs> just give them like have them hopped up on sugar all day. That's what I would do. Yeah, yeah. and the parents would hate you because the yeah, kids yeah. would be staying up oh, till three yeah. in the morning, hopped up on sugar. Uh, it would be cre- pretty creepy if you were their parents. Some dude comes up to your kids like want some death sticks and like this <laughs> stuff in your hand that might not go so well uh anyway all right well listen sad to see galactic star cruiser go again last the last mission the final voyage september 28th to 30th so if you want to uh take a ride before it goes away that's your uh, your end date um listen at entertainment weekly we are covering the writer strike a lot and this really impacts uh, Devin and myself a, a, a lot because you know, shows and movies that we're trying to report on. We don't know what's happening with them. We don't know if people are doing interviews or if the thing's in production, this, that. And so thought real quickly, we would just talk about the Star Wars shows and if they're being impacted. Um, I, I guess there's, you know, a few we can look at here quickly. I, you know, Mandalorian is an interesting one, Devin, because they said before season three even premiered, that the scripts for season four were done. Uh, now, you and I both know in this industry, a script being done can mean many things. Like that script can change. A lot, a lot of shows, there's notes to the ver- very last day are coming in and your, pa- your sides are changing, which are your script pages. And some scripts are a little more locked. So we don't really know what that means in terms of scripts are done. But at least if they have working scripts, Devin, that that gives them a cushion to probably wait out this strike, I would think. Yeah, I'm very curious to kind of see how that that looks. I think my guess would be, especially with Mandalorian, having the scripts done, um, that allows them to sort of press pause on like starting production because to our knowledge, they have not started production yet. Um, But like, you know, start developing pre-production, start working on, you know, building sets and figuring out locations and things like that. So that eventually when the strike is over, they can hit the ground running and, you know, really, really start moving on season four. Because uh, where I get hesitant is when, when shows are like, yeah, we can, we've got the scripts done. We can keep producing things without, without a writer on set. And I think specific, because like you said, so many things change on the day. It's like, oh, we wrote it this way, but we figured out that because of the way this scene is shot and because of the way the doors over here on, on the set that we're on, we need to completely rechange everything. And so I think, 
trying to shoot things without a writer on set or without, you know, Jean Favreau or Filoni on set is kind of just a recipe for disaster. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious whether what the exact timeline will look like, but um, it is nice that they, they do already have the scripts kind of ready to go. Um, but I, I don't think they can continue moving forward until the strike is resolved. Well, that's what makes Andor really interesting because yes. apparently a, like a, a WGA member, the Writers Guild of America, and they're not supposed to be doing any work, right? Uh, a WGA member wrote on social media that Tony Gilroy, the creator and showrunner of Andor, had been performing producing duties on the show. So while not still writing, had still been doing some of his other work in that in the producing capacity and had been doing it sort of after the strike. So Tony Gilroy came out with a quote and said, I discontinued all caps, all writing and writing related work on Andor prior to midnight May 1st. After being briefed on the Saturday showrunner meeting, I informed Chris Kaiser at the WJ on Sunday morning that I'll also be ceasing all non-writing producing functions. So basically what he's saying was, hey, we had the strike. And then uh, a few days later, we had there was another meeting uh, and we had the showrunner meeting and then I stopped doing producing. So he's saying he did do some producing work for uh, you know a few days there, um, but then he stopped. What do you make of that, uh, Devin, that apparently now Tony Gilroy is not doing any work on Andor, which is in the middle of production? Yeah, that I think is is pretty common. I think a lot of showrunners, you know, because if you're a showrunner, you sort of wear multiple hats. You know, obviously you're a writer, but also sometimes you're a director or you're working as a producer and you're working on all these different things. Um, so certainly in the early days of the strike, there were a lot of cases like this where, you know, some WGA member said, OK, I'm going to halt I'm gonna, my, my writing duties in solidarity with, as a WGA member, but I'm going to continue, you know, my shows in production. I'm, I'm going to continue working in a, in a producer capacity. You know, Tony Gilroy was one of the ones who said, I'm stepping back. I don't want to cross the picket line. I, you know, I support the WGA. I'm going to cease all working on um, and on and or in perpetuity until the strike is resolved. Um, that leaves the production in a really interesting place because I think it's no secret that, you know, Tony Gilroy is very much very key to Andor's success. You know, he is the person who has sort of guided the show. It's his vision. Um, you know, he's the one who, especially when we know that Andor season two is very much, it's leading up to like the final days right before Rogue One. Basically the season ends and then Rogue One begins. They've said that multiple times. So you kind of need Tony Gilroy there to kind of shepherd things and, and guide things. Now, the, the production, it kind of depends on where they are in production, right? Like, are they in sort of early days where they're still figuring things out, like working, starting to film new episodes from scratch? Or are they just sort of like picking up, hey, we need to fill in the gaps here. We've got like, you know, this action scene that we can make happen with just our second unit directors and, and our stunt team. And, and we don't really need a showrunner or a, or a writer on set. Um, I, I'm very curious to kind of see what happens because Andor is one of the few projects um, that actually has a release date at Star Wars Celebration. Tony Gilroy said it has a release date. It's coming out in August 2024. Um, now that could change, but it is interesting that that actually supposedly the show does have a deadline that it needs to hit in order to, to come out in August 2024, um, as opposed to some of the other shows on this list that don't have an announced release date and could maybe have a little bit more flexibility to shift. So I'm very curious to kind of see how things shape out or how, how things shape up. And um, 
I don't know. We'll, I guess we'll see what happens. The other one, I guess, noting is the, the Acolyte, which I believe is near the end of production. It's also confused. Well, not, I mean, Devin, you have all these shows that are, uh, a lot of these Star Wars shows filming in England. Mm-hmm. And there's also, a, you know, some complications in terms of, well, this is this US WGA. Is this contract under UK law? I just want to read you. This is from a press release from the Writers Guild of Great Britain. And, and by the way, I realize we're getting deep in the weeds here. We'll get out of these weeds in just a second if you don't care about contract law and like all this stuff. But, you know, it does impact when we might see the shows yeah. and potentially the, the acolyte. But it, anyway, this is from the Writers Guild of Great Britain. If your contract was made under UK law and you were already under contract at the time the strike was called, you should continue to work normally and comply with the terms of your contract. Pre-existing work in the UK is not considered struck work by the WGA. If your contract was made under US law, you should follow the WGA strike rules. So, you know, I don't know if the acolyte was, you know, made under WGA strike rules in US law or UK law, but so I can't speak to what it is there, but I do know that that is sort of an interesting wrinkle in these things in terms of some shows being filmed abroad. It is kind of interesting, specifically when it comes to, you know, like productions in the UK. I know um, Leslie Headland, who is the creator of The Acolyte, she is a WGA member um, under the US. Um, and But that show is, I know they've been filming for a while. I know they were kind of about to wrap or like just had a couple weeks left of production left to left to finish when the strike started. Um, so it sounds like that is a show that, that you know, w- Again, I, it sounds like they can maybe move forward and, and sort of just pick up some of the f- finished pieces and, and you know just film here and there in the UK. But again, I think it's it's sort of interesting, and there hasn't been a lot of transparency from from the studios and things like that. And um, really, the only shows that we know have a concrete release date are Ahsoka, which is finished and is coming out in August twenty twenty four or twenty twenty three, and then. Um, and or season two, which has that release date of August 2024. But again, that could shift depending on where they are in the production schedule, how long the strike lasts, all of these things. But it's kind of interesting to to kind of check in. And, and it sounds like every different Star Wars show is kind of in a different place right now. Um, so I'm very curious to see kind of how things shake out over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, well, we will see. It could, listen, it could be a long, long strike. Right now, a few weeks, probably not going to make a big difference for any of these properties. But if this thing keeps going, it keeps going. Some of these shows that either haven't started production or we're just kind of early in, it, we could be uh, having to wait longer than we'd like. Um, okay, uh, we spoke to the four villains of Ahsoka, Lars Mikkelsen, Diana Lee Inosanto, Ivana Sakno, and the late Ray Stevenson. This interview took place at Star Wars Celebration right after the Ahsoka panel. And we hope you listen to it and especially listen to Ray and how much he loved working on this show and with the people on it. It's a very telling testament to the man and the impact he made. And you can hear that entire chat right after this quick break. So, uh, do you villains always travel in a pack like this? Is that how this works? That's how it works. <laughs> we, we come with our own chairs. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 is it in general just more fun playing a villain? Because it seems like it is. It is. Yeah. It so is. Well, it is fun, Yeah. Yeah. What do you tap into when you have to uh, hit that villain aside? I think it takes a really good guy to play a good bad guy. Guy or girl. I just yeah. a of you know what I mean? It's just like we have such a laugh. We sort of, the crap, we have no idea. It's like, you know, we're known as the, as the nicest baddies. We until, are. Until we, we got to work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, Lars, as, as someone that's read every single Thrawn book, I'm super excited to see him brought to life in live action. Uh, how excited are you to bring him into the screen in this way? Very. Um, uh, as you know, I've, I've, I've done the, you know, the rebels. So when David finally asked me if I wanted to, there was no doubt, so of course I wanted to do that. So I'm very excited to do it. But the transition between the Rebels and, and, and the actual live-action character, uh, uh, I hope it works. I hope it works. Well, how is, if at all, this Thrawn different from the one that you played when you were voicing him? And how is playing him different now that you're doing more than just his voice yeah. over Skype? In a you know, cartoon, I mean, you, you can sort of up certain things that you can't in real live-action. So... Um, I think in many ways it's the same character. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's it's based on the same material. But uh, I need we needed to think, you know, do this right. Yeah. Give him a walk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, for for those that haven't watched Rebels or haven't read the books, how would you describe Thrawn to someone? As um, top strategist. I mean, he's he's he's, um, he's like. Um, He's always like seven paces ahead of anybody else, everybody else. Yeah. Um, and uh, ruthless, of course, but only when it's needed. Actually, I, I think he, he, um, he thrives also with the creativity of uh, the surroundings. I mean, he's, he's, he's not using people um, in a bad way. He's, mm. he's using their creativity to reach his goals. Yeah. I told them to take all the art off the walls so you couldn't study us uh, <laughs> looking at the art. Um, it's, did you have to go back and watch any old Rebels episodes just to familiarize yourself with how you voiced him and played him before? No, I didn't really. No, we did needed to do something else. So I, you know, I wanted to, not, not to detach myself from that, but to you know, create something new, in a sense. Yeah. Uh, Diana, did you know when you played Morgan Elsbeth on The Mandalorian that she was going to be showing up here later in Ahsoka. Did they sort of say, we've got a bigger story planned for your character here or not? No, everything was such a complete surprise. Listen, I didn't even know my name was Morgan Elsbeth until the night it aired. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, I just knew I was the magistrate, so I had to make up this complete backstory. So when, you know, it aired... Um, the night it aired, I, I was just stunned. I'm like, I have a name. Everybody was making a big deal about Grogu having a name, right? And I'm like, I have a name, you know? <laughs> but, um, but then when I found out that they were going to expand her character, I was just over the moon about this. I just couldn't believe how the planets and the stars aligned. And, and to be able to, to work with such a magnificent cast and to, to grow as, as an actress and, and feel that energy... It's a dream come true, you know, it really is. What's it like filling in more of the character? You said you didn't have a backstory when you did this one episode of Mandalorian. So what is it like now sort of getting to flesh out the character out? Well, the beautiful thing was Dave was always there to kind of assist me uh, on what her backstory is, and I have to be very careful. Um, but I can say, you know, she's quite the manipulator, and shes we all know she's cold-hearted, but... You know, this is a character that is truly dedicated and, and loyal to Grand Admiral Thrawn. And uh, there's nothing getting in her way. 
Um, so, and what I really love is that we are going to get into her backstory, and I'm just thrilled and excited. And uh, yeah, I, I think the fans are going to be quite fascinated and and pretty happy about this, and also to the relationship that that she has with her 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 bond of baddies, you know. Yeah. I like that, the bond of baddies. Yes, bond of the baddies. So what was it like when you had to do that big fight scene and George Lucas is watching you? I mean, that's, that's an extra layer of pressure there. Uh, yeah, uh, and, and Kathleen was there too. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, because they, they're, they're heroes of mine. You know, they're trailblazers. So when uh, John introduced me to them, I was like, oh my goodness. And uh, it was such an honor and, and, and to have Dave you know, also there. I mean, I mean, you have the most creative minds that were there that day, because uh, you had, you know, not only Kathleen and George, you had Doug Chang, and then you had, uh, you had, you know, obviously John and Dave, and it was just amazing. And then, like, to do this beautiful combative dance with Rosario. I mean, ah, oh, what a, what a, what a beautiful moment, and what a way to bond with her. Let's talk about the new characters. I know you guys got to be careful with what you say, but Ivana, what can you tell us about your character of Shin? Shin, she is... No, nope, that's too much. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> um, I love you. She, um, Shin is quite intense and um, ambitious force wielder. She is very skilled in lightsaber combat you know as you're saying she is a new character so i don't want to give away too much of who shin is as i would love the audience to be able to discover her but she is dave's creation and i hope that despite her darkness of a character we're able to also understand expand our understanding of that darkness within someone and the reason behind it. I love her. I really care so much about her and it's I feel like it's it's my job to take care of her and protect her. Yeah. And Ray, what about your character? I see him going down that hallway. He looks very confident is the, the adjective I would use looking at that. Tell us what you can say about him. Um, it was a revelation, um, I must admit, because um, uh, I had no idea what to expect. And you're turning up and you're held. I mean, the, I mean, one of the things that was so overwhelming at first was, I mean, the costumes are works of art. Mm. Um, the set designs, you think, who designed this? And then you look at the set construction, who constructed that? The quality uh, that, that, that is surrounding you in technical and, and creative talent is quite breathtaking. And you've got to summon it up from the balls of your feet. Um, to stand your ground and own the space, and you're given that confidence from uh, from from Dave and John and from the, your fellow actors, which is which is uh, incredible. And it's such an untold journey mm. with with Balin and, and, and Shin, and it they kind of keep you second guessing: Are they? Aren't they? What is going on? What what are they actually up to? Uh, uh, through their first, they appear this, and then it develops into it could be this, or what is it? And then there's something out, something other. So it's a, it's a very exciting role to play. And he has a kind of, uh, um, I would say, inherent nobility 
It's like if you don't stand in his way, he's got no malicious mm. attitude at all. But if you do, you, you'd just be swept aside because there's something that's driving him that Mr. Filoni and Favreau know and will, is hopefully going to be revealed throughout the telling. And just, I mean, just breathtaking. And I must admit, when the first time you turn a lightsaber on, mm. you make the noise. Everybody does that. And it's, but you just can't help it. So it's, um, you know, uh, and, and just everybody, everybody works at such a pitch. I must admit that what I'm overwhelmed with overall is a humility of greatness from the top all the way down through every department. Um, the hours put in, the, the quality of work, and you can't wait to get back to set um, and, uh, and, then, and see what's going to be revealed that day. Uh, I would lose my mind if I got to be in a Star Wars show using a lightsaber. So, Ray and Ivana, talk to me a little bit more about that and the training that you guys got to do to do that as well. We have an incredible fight coordinator, Ming, who, I mean, we were training for months beforehand and also our trainer, Lacey, Ray and I were, yeah, you know, see. doing ice baths yeah. like two times a week. <laughs> yeah, boost it and then ice bath. Yeah. It was the first time oh. I was introduced to it, and it was just after that, it, it becomes addictive. Yeah. And you go, is there an ice bath after this one? Yeah, it has <laughs> so much to do. Like singing. Yeah, the, yeah. I, the training has also, besides just the choreography of it all, it has to do with your connection to your mind and heart and body, and you really begin to through understanding history of Star Wars and the Force itself, you see how that placates itself into your own life through the flow and learning how to navigate it within and somehow your movement. They train, they train you for your character. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and you turn up with, uh, with, the, with the stunt team and it's, it's awe-inspiring what they've developed as, as a fight sequence because of what they would have already worked out and thrown out and worked through um, and it's, you know, you, 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 you step up until you, you are a puddle on mm-hmm. the ground. Um, but then seeing it on the day come together and, and they're working out camera angles while we're actually rehearsing fights. Mm-hmm. All of it is, is meshed. Um, and it's just, you know, and then I just, I stand there stoically going, mm, and then <laughs> in comes the viper. <laughs> and I'm going like, that's Oh, so that's great. <laughs> and then Rosario's... <laughs> and, oh, and see the noise again. <laughs> you can't have so... Uh, Ray yeah. would, we, would... You constantly make noises. I remember the first scene that we were filming. Um, you came up with a song for Shin. You're like, immediately as we... I mean, I can't say too much of the no. scene itself, but Ray would just constantly walk around the scene and be like, who let the Shin out? Who let the Shin out? Yeah, so... Yeah, it was, you, it was the humor on set between us all. Yeah, well. there's a lot and of And the magistrate around. comes yeah. up. She's, she almost like doesn't walk. She can't see glides. Yeah. <laughs> all right, I, I can see where the power is. And then when when we first encountered Thrawn, I was watching him just the entrance. And you go like, nah, that's an entrance. Mm. And that's what I thought until I saw today's tra- trailer. And you go, no, 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 that's an entrance. Yeah. <laughs> like, that was amazing. Yeah. Yeah, talk, talk a little bit about that, Lars. That you guys just got off the stage, and I was down there. The reaction when they saw the character in the trailer, yeah. and then when you came out on stage, tell me about, about being there for that. It was a very emotional moment that I didn't expect to have. 
but uh, I think there's there's a lot of love to be you know taken care of from the audience that that you need to um, it's a lot of love you know? yeah and I felt enormous gratitude it, it was it yeah, was amazing I've never tried anything like tsunami of of emotion and yeah. I love the way that the Star Wars and Lucas films that they that they keep so much back as a gift back to yeah. the fans who've made the effort to turn up because yeah. it's for them mm. and we're a band of actors fortunate enough to, to be work together and enjoy it and give it to them on the day like now and then it's going to be keeping giving to them mm. as the series unravels mm. don't you feel it's like this sort of this yin and yang kind of relationship yeah. you know it's at, for us as artists and then you have the fans that are also you know the other part of the equation with Invested. that, yeah, yeah, this passion. It's it's just a remarkable experience. Mm. I, I, you know, it's hard to describe, yeah. but it's really beautiful. It's a yeah. gift to be part of something that you're really proud of. Truly, yeah. I had a hard time actually keeping my tears back. You know, I was really tearing up. So. Uh, and I didn't expect that. I sort of, you know, I'm an actor. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. wow. Yeah. Wow. It's the perfect way to sum up Star Wars Celebration, a lot of love. Mm. I'll tell you, my ears still ringing from the guy next to me who yelled when they show you in the trailer. <laughs> still, still got a bug in there. Yeah. Uh, this is great, guys. Thanks so much for coming. Thank up. you. Really appreciate Thank, it. You. Thank you so much. Thanks so much to our guests from Ahsoka. And once again, uh, our thoughts go out to the family, friends, cast, and crewmates of Ray Stevenson. We hope you enjoyed hearing his passion for his show. And we will get to see that passion when Ahsoka premieres this August. You can connect with us on social media by following Entertainment Weekly on all socials. It's at EW on Twitter and at Entertainment Weekly everywhere else. You can also tag and follow us directly using at Dalton Ross and at Devin Kogan. Thanks so much, everyone. We'll do it all over again next week. This episode of Dagobah Dispatch Podcast is hosted and produced by Dalton Ross and Devin Kogan. Produced and edited by Sammy Junio. Executive produced by Chanel Johnson. Full episode transcripts are available at EW.com. Thanks for listening and may the force be with you.